This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Tuesday, February 14th. You're listening to WNBF. Two Broome County jail inmates and two other people are accused of being involved in a conspiracy to smuggle fentanyl into the town of Dickinson facility. Authorities on Monday said the suspects face felony charges following an investigation by the sheriff's office. Sheriff Fred Akshar said his agency's investigators were able to stop an effort to smuggle and distribute illegal drugs into the jail. Akshar said they were able to stop the conspiracy in its tracks and prevent nearly 3,650 fatal doses of fentanyl from circulating throughout the correctional facility. The sheriff said an investigator last Wednesday observed a jail visit between an inmate, Marcella McDonald of Queens, and Ethan Papathomopoulos of Endicott. It appeared an exchange of contraband occurred during a handshake. Investigators ultimately discovered McDonald had been in possession of some fentanyl. Ultimately, the inmate's housing unit and cell were checked. A search turned up 131 pills hidden in his cell. Papa Thamopoulos and 21-year-old Alexis Merrill of the town of Maine were arrested for their alleged involvement in acquiring the fentanyl and delivering it to McDonald. McDonald and another inmate, 21-year-old Justice Marimberga of the town of Maine, also were arrested. All four have been charged with felony counts, including fourth-degree conspiracy. A major southern-tier ice fishing competition won't be held this year because of the warmer-than-usual winter. Organizers of the New York State Crappy Derby on Monday announced the event has been canceled because the ice on Whitney Point Lake is inadequate. Tom Decker of the Whitney Point Sportsman Association told WMBF News there now is only about eight inches of ice on the reservoir. He said that's plenty of ice for individuals who want to do some fishing, but it's not enough for the large crowd that would be attracted by the Crappy Derby. Derby. Decker said the weather in recent weeks hasn't been conducive to making good ice. He noted there have been repeated freeze-thaw cycles, along with periods of snow and rain. Officials with the Sportsman Association met with representatives of the Broome County Parks Department Monday morning at the lake, and everyone agreed the ice was not sufficient for the planned event. Crappy Derby was canceled last year at virtually the last minute because the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers planned to close gates at the lake due to rain. That action would have caused the water to rise, pulling ice away from the edges. The last New York State Crappy Derby was held in 2020. Decker said the association members now will look to next year with the hope of being able to once again hold the event that typically draws thousands of people to northern Broome County. Born in Turkey in 1972, Hamdi Ulukaya was born into a dairy farming community before coming to the United States in 1994. Upon moving to the United States, he studied English on Long Island before transferring to the university at Albany, where he took business courses before opening a wholesale feta cheese company. In 2005, he purchased a yogurt factory once owned by Kraft Foods. Instead of producing traditional yogurt, he decided to make yogurt the way he grew up with it in Turkey, and so was born the multi-billion dollar Chobani. Forbes magazine estimated that his worth is $2 billion as his company is headquartered in Norwich, while the yogurt plant has two locations, one in South Edmiston and the other in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, he's the owner of the number one selling strain yogurt company in the United States, but he hasn't forgotten his roots. On Monday, February 6th, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit Turkey and parts of Syria, killing thousands of people and toppling buildings. As of February 11th, there were more than 25,000 confirmed deaths, and the numbers continue to climb. The earmarked $2 million for Turkey's earthquake relief efforts through an organization called Turkish Philanthropy Funds. 
Turkish Philanthropy Funds has a goal to raise $10 million to aid in a variety of areas, including search and rescue efforts, distribution of hygiene kits, emergency supplies, generators, and more. New York State Governor Kathy Hochul is taking aim at the tobacco industry, seeking to ban menthol cigarettes and significantly raise cigarette taxes per pack. Governor Hochul's proposal would ban the sale of menthol cigarettes, considered one of the most popular cigarette products, and raise the per-pack tax on cigarettes from $1 to $5.35. For regular smokers, that's a great deal more of their money going to cigarettes. For reference, someone who smokes one pack a day right now pays $7 in taxes per week, but with the raise in the tax on cigarette products, he or she would pay $37.45 in taxes alone for a week of smoking. Expectedly, Governor Hochul's proposal is facing intense scrutiny. Even members of the clergy in Buffalo, Albany, and Harlem signed on to a letter to Governor Hochul, stating it is unjust to expect communities of color to choose between greater public health protections and basic civil rights. We do not accept the premise that we must choose between the two, that these interests are mutually exclusive, or that this debate is zero-sum. A working group of consisting of social justice advocates and law enforcement leaders, along with other organizations, is the best solution available to bridge the current divide. A man driving a U-Haul truck swerved onto sidewalks and plowed into cyclists and scooter riders in New York City on Monday, killing one person and injuring eight others before police were able to pin the careening vehicle against a building following a miles-long pursuit through Brooklyn. Police Commissioner Keyshant Sewell described the driver's actions Monday as a violent rampage through Brooklyn. The truck sped through the Bay Ridge neighborhood before Four police stopped it more than three miles away, near the entrance to a tunnel leading from Brooklyn to Manhattan. The driver was arrested. He was identified by his son as Wang Soar, who was living in Las Vegas before appearing recently in New York. President Joe Biden has fired the embattled architect of the Capitol, the official who oversees the Capitol complex. The White House said Monday that Brett Blanton's appointment was terminated. It comes as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said he'd lost confidence in Blanton's ability to do the job. An Inspector General report released last year found administrative, ethical, and policy violations by Blanton, including that he abused his government vehicle and misrepresented himself as a law enforcement official. At a House hearing last week, Blanton also faced fierce questions about capital tours he allowed and sometimes conducted despite pandemic restrictions. Customers of wireless provider T-Mobile USA Incorporated reported widespread service outages in the U.S. late Monday. Posts on downdetector.com and productreviews.net indicated T-Mobile service outages in multiple areas of the country. Many Twitter users have also reported t mobile outages. Numerous posts by users said their service has been changed to SOS mode, meaning they were not directly connected to a network but could still make emergency calls. Many posts reported service eventually was restored. T-Mobile President of Technology Neville Ray issued a statement early Tuesday saying services returned to near-normal levels. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today mostly sunny with a high near 47. Tonight increasing clouds with a low near 36. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 60, wind gusts as high as 29 miles per hour. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, a low near 44. And Thursday, showers likely, mainly before 2 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 59 degrees, a 70% chance of rain. Thursday night, showers, a low near 38 degrees, 90% chance of rain. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio. Bob Joseph reporting for duty, taking calls on a Tuesday morning, 607-772-1290. It is interactive. It is perhaps the only phone number you can call today where someone will answer. 607-772-1290. In a crowded city like Walmart. 
To a lovely start uh, here in the Twin Tiers or wherever you may be. Thank you for listening, whether you're in Binghamton or Birmingham or California or Florida, North or South Carolina, North or South Dakota. We are here for you. Remember, if you have friends, who might be spending some quality time outside of New York for some reason, let them know that they can stay tuned to their favorite station using the free WNBF app. Many people already know that. Many people do. And some don't. So if you have a friend or a relative who enjoys keeping up with what's going on in the Binghamton area, make sure they know about the free option to stay connected with WNBF using our free app. Let's begin the morning at 9.13 by taking caller number one. Good morning, you're caller number one. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Well, thank you. I didn't think I would be number one. This is Carol from JC. Uh, I think I said this the other day, but uh, seeing as how today is actually St. Valentine's Day, I thought I would make a comment about that because of Bill Flynn uh, reflecting on Sunday about his childhood or his youth and mine as well, that we always did say St. Valentine's Day. So, uh, But that is not why I called. It just happened to be I went to a grocery store. I'm on Upper Front Street, so it's not Wegmans <laughs> that I'm going to mention. I went in there to just uh, look at some flowers and some fruit and picked out a nice, juicy-looking grapefruit. Guess how much it was? I didn't get it. Six ninety nine. Six ninety nine. Three forty nine for one grape fright. That's a good deal. You should have grabbed it while you could. The prices are only going to go up. You're not being encouraging or cooperative in your conversation regarding the price of the grape fright. That's singular. I can only I, I can only tell you that the new. Inflation report just came out, and inflation is soaring again. So it's 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 not my fault. You know whose fault it is. Yes. El Presidente and his ridiculous policies, and you can cut me off right now. Uh, I'll listen, and uh, you have a nice day, Bob. By the way, we thank President Biden for the work he's doing, although I still don't shy away from my strong criticism of President Biden for his refusal to do a live interview with Fox on Sunday afternoon. Um, It's inexplicable. Plus, I just don't understand it. Why? Why? (laughs) 
why won't he why won't he just sit down for an interview 15 minutes a live interview 15 minutes with the fox that's all he needs to do that's all he needs to do he blew it he had a perfect opportunity to reach probably maybe 100 million Americans on Sunday afternoon and speak from the heart. It's the kind of opportunity that comes along basically once a year. He had the opportunity. And he blinked. It's 916 WNBF. Good morning time. Hi, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hi there, Bob. It's John. Good morning, John. Uh, I, uh, well, first of all, on St. Valentine's Day, let me just give some uh, words of advice to younger men out there. With this uh, proviso, millions for romance today, tonight, but not one red cent for tribute tomorrow. So there we go on that one. Uh... You know, I'm intrigued by uh, Pope Francis, uh, speaking of love is love and all that, where uh, I guess he was with a couple of other clerics, and he said that uh, homosexuality should not be illegal. It's not a crime, but it's a sin. And uh, I can't recall any Holy Father going down this road, uh, not only in regard to homosexuality, but in regard to uh, something where civil law dovetails with uh, religious uh, commandments and laws. Uh, I, this is this is a novel approach to me. Uh, for example, if I was a cleric and civil law uh, was in line uh, with my beliefs or the beliefs of my religion. I would applaud the civil authorities for doing some of the heavy lifting uh, for me, uh, for the church. Uh, so I, I, in light of this, I don't know what the church's goal would be with, for example, with abortion, uh, a sin, uh, but legal. Uh, I thought it was the position of the pro-life movement to, to make abortion illegal. Uh, I thought that all the other sins, uh, for example, should stealing is a sin, should, should it be a crime? I, I mean, this is a bizarre uh, rationale uh, that they're using, and it uh, just goes to show me that next to war, uh, promiscuous sexual relations... Uh, are the greatest destroyers of life. Virtually every cult, every cult leader of all these cults has been involved in one way or another in sex, and that's Jim Jones, that's the the, uh, people that were putting their sneakers in an orderly manner thinking that they were going to be beamed up, whatever that guy was, that's uh, uh, Rajneesh there in Oregon. So... uh, I just want to tell the the young lovers out there, the young fornicators out there, uh, that if you're doing that nasty stuff uh, without the strings of marriage, uh, then you're just fooling yourself. 
How about that? All right. Short-term pleasure, long-term pain, I think, is the message conveyed there. If I understood it correctly. It's 920. This is Bob Joseph. We are here for you, serving America, serving your best interests. Sounds like I'm running for something. Hi, this is Bob Joseph. I'm here to serve your best interest. Vote for me. Of course, it's several months till Election Day, so in the meantime, you can call me at 607-772-1290, live on a Tuesday morning. WNBF, 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. This is Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF. We're taking more calls in a moment at 607 772 First, we welcome Karen Sweet O'Neill to the program with a preview of tomorrow's informational segment. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Great. How are things? Things are good. Nice. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you so much. It's very sweet. Aha. Uh-huh. That it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start calling myself Bob Sweet Joseph. Aha. Uh-huh. And I'll go with Karen Sweet O'Neill. There you go. I, I, can, I can do it. I can do it one day a year, and this is it. Okay. Okay. Give I like me, that. Yes. Give me hey, special got, permission. <laughs> hey, we got a new puppy, and her name is Ruby Sweet O'Neill. What do you think about that? Oh, I love it. Describe her, yeah. please. Oh, my gosh. She's a darling. She is a mix or a mutt or however you want to say it. Um, Bichon poodle and another kind of little thing. And I don't know. She's just a little fluff dog. Oh, so my far. gosh. But oh, my gosh. she's sweet and she's fun. And, yeah, very lucky. How old Blue is she? Eyes. She has a blue eye and a brown eye. <laughs> How old is she? Six she weeks is, old? Um, no, no. She's nine weeks. Oh. I know. It, there's nothing better, right? I love puppy. Except in the middle of the night, you don't see <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> really? Puppy, I love you, but come on. I'm trying to sleep here. <laughs> right? Oh, my gosh. She's a good last oh. night. That's why I'm bubbly this morning. Yeah. Not so much yesterday. No. But no. Eh, she's a puppy. Eh, she's yeah. a puppy. Anyway, well, that's that's great news. Uh, congratulations yeah. on, on having a new pup in the family. Yeah. So, what will we be discussing tomorrow? Well, we're going to talk about uh, people that are getting rate increase letters, unfortunately. Um, not from NYSEG, but from long-term care insurance companies where perhaps they have their long-term care 
insurance policies from. And um, it's kind of an ongoing um, situation as far as the rate increases go, Bob. And it just started a couple years ago. And it depends on the company you have, how much the rate increase is, and so on and so forth. So the biggest thing that we're going to talk about is what do you do if you get a rate increase notice and your agent or your broker is no longer in the business or they're just plain not here anymore? And that's a lot, a lot of brokers. So what do you do? And, of course, they can come to us and we'll talk about what we do and how we help them, you know, go through that maze of options because normally what happens, Bob, these insurance companies send these rate increase notices along with, you know, a four-page letter. So by the time you're through the second page, you know, if you don't know the insurance terminology, you just kind of put it aside and say, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Don't get rid of your policy because it's pure profit for the insurance company. And as we age, that's when you may need to use it through an accident or an illness. So we'll talk about that tomorrow and how we can help you out. I will look forward to it. In the meantime, let me say hello to Ruby. Hi, Ruby. (gasps) Bob says hi, Ruby. He's a dog lover. I love dogs. Oh, I like him. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I I, uh, hope to meet her one of these days. Heck, oh, absolutely. Sometimes send me a picture. Bob at WNBF.com. Send me a picture. And who knows, maybe maybe then I would put it on Twitter. And I, I right. would put on Twitter, this is Ruby Sweet O'Neill. You got it. All I'll right. I'll send it to you. Thanks. Say it again. Where do I send it? I'm Bob, so Bob at WNBF.com. Oh, gee, that's so hard for me to remember. <laughs> Bob at WNBF.com. Yeah. All right. I shall. Thank you. And if you do, can I put it on Twitter? Um, sure. I mean, you know. I mean, yeah. Ruby will become the most famous puppy in Broome County. I'm telling you. Beloved. Not that that's our goal. No. I just My goal is just to have her sleep through the night. <laughs> <laughs> She'll get there. She will. Yes, yeah, she will. Last night was better than the night before. Yep. So. So. We only had her since Saturday. Oh, my goodness. That's exciting. I know. It's wonderful. I love it. All right. Well, thank you, and we will talk tomorrow at about 920. Okay, and if anybody wants to reach us, where are we? 607-772-4898, and we can set you up with an appointment. We're up on the parkway, 1708 Vestal Parkway East, up up above Plato's Closet and Style Encore. Happy Valentine's Day, Bob. Have a great day. Thank you, Karen. It's 929. This is Bob Joseph, live on News Radio WNBF. And WNBF.com. It's Jesse Kelly. You've painted up your lips and rolled and curled your tinted hair. Are you contemplating going out somewhere? The shadow on the wall tells me the sun is going down. Don't take your love to town.
It's 933 WNBF with Bob Joseph, a friend of the average person. Now the forecast from the National Weather Service. Sunny today, 51. Increasing clouds tonight. A slight chance of showers, 35. Cloudy tomorrow through mid-morning, followed by gradual clearing. There will be a slight chance of showers in the morning. Tomorrow's high, 62. And the outlook for Thursday, cloudy. Showers likely in the afternoon, 59. Right now it's 36 in downtown Binghamton at News Radio WNBF 607-772-1290. Who will be the next lucky listener to be afforded an opportunity to interact with the artificial intelligence. Interesting story on the front page of today's uh, Binghamton paper. Uh, John Fritz from Gannett writes that Congressman George Santos faces investigations and growing hostility from Republicans for lying about his background while running for office, but legal experts say the fabrications on their own are likely protected by the First Amendment. So... Go ahead, lie with impunity. Or without impunity, just lie. Let's take another call. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hi, Bob. It's Beverly from the town of Dickerson. Hi. Yeah, uh, I was watching the Super Bowl on Sunday. I thought it was pretty cool. You know, I thought um, they did a good job. Yeah. Can you imagine two brothers being on different teams? Well, next year they're going to have triplets. So they're going to have, it's going to be two brothers on one team, and the other triplet is going to be the older of the triplets will be on one team, and then the two younger triplets will play on the other team, and that'll be another storyline for the network to milk. Oh, yeah. No, it was pretty, it was pretty nice to, the the halftime was was nice. I couldn't I couldn't believe uh, that Rihanna there, but she did a a nice a nice uh, a nice job. She did a great job, a great performance, and I think I think she may be going somewhere because um, they said she had not performed in several years, and I think because of the incredible success. On TV the other night, I think she should start going out and performing. Wouldn't it be great if she would come uh, to the forum and do a sort of a mini concert at the forum tonight? Well, I don't think she'd. Uh, yeah, it would be nice. Yeah, I mean, let's not jump to conclusions and say just because it's a small venue in a place like Binghamton that she wouldn't consider it. Maybe all we need to do is ask her. And and not have much publicity ahead of time. The only publicity would be this afternoon on WNBF. We would be able to announce it starting around 3.30 and give people a secret phone number to call to get tickets. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine how happy WNBF listeners would be if we could pull that off? Oh, yeah. I can imagine. I watched the Super Bowl because my father used to watch it when he was with us. Well, you know, I my brother, my brother, my my brother and and my nephew they went to 
a Super Bowl one time. I can't remember what year it was, but they went, and they said that there was such a crowd that they decided not to go no more. Yeah, I don't think I would want to go because of the crowds. No. No, but they had a nice time, though. But the tickets are real expensive. Well, that's the problem. They're not affordable for the masses. The masses, people like us, ought to be able to go to the Super Bowl once in our lives, but at, at those prices, there's no chance for us. No. No, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it. Just, I enjoyed it. I really did. Well, I can't wait till the competition next year. I think with the Bills in it next year, and the Bills in twenty twenty four are gonna they're gonna win big. Oh yeah, yeah. I like to uh, on Saturday the Globetrotters they have their own show, and uh, they. Uh, they were they go and they help people that have disabilities like like kids and so forth and they show them how to play basketball and stuff yeah that's nice the globetrotters yeah. they they do good work it's on, it's on channel 6 at at 11 o'clock in the morning it's on for an hour it's very very interesting you know how they i thought they just played uh play basketball but they go they go and they help the children you know that want to be basketball players and and so forth and they give them kind of a little inspiration you know they help them i i watch it every saturday and i think it's pretty nice that somebody can do that but they take a lot of a lot of interest in the young people to help them out well, I think that's a good thing. They they set a yeah, good example. It's a nice show, though. It's a nice program. I watch it every Saturday. I didn't know it was on, then I got addicted to it and started to keep watching it. Well, I like I like it a lot. It's very it's very good. All right, I'm gonna see if I can find if I could see that sometime. You say what time is it on? It's on at 11 o'clock on Saturday. Okay. It's on for new. It's on Channel 6. All right. I'll try to I'll try to remember to watch it, and I'll, I'll let you know what I think. Okay. Well, have a good day. Thank you. It's 940. This is Bob Joseph on WNBF. If you have any suggestions for stuff I should watch on the weekend, my TV hasn't been getting much use lately because I just don't know what to watch. There are too many channels now. I refuse to cut the cord because I like paying a couple hundred bucks every month to the guy who put put the cord in. So I don't have a problem with paying the $200 a month. I think they deserve it for all the entertainment values they give me. But it's too much. It's overwhelming. So if you have any thoughts about stuff I should watch on the weekend, and then I'll put it on a list and maybe... Maybe next weekend, if the weather's bad, I'll I'll stay home and 
Just watch stuff that people recommend. It's 941. This is Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF. Our number is 607 772 1290. We're on the air at 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. I'm Martin. Phones now. It's Tuesday morning. Dick on Binghamton's North Side. Good morning. You're on the air. It sure is. Uh, <laughs> I was just wondering where St. Valentine's Day originated from. If it had any affiliation with uh, Rudolph Valentino from the great lovers of the tw- teens and 20s. I think it was uh, invented by Hallmark. Hallmark and the, um, what's that chocolate company that makes a lot of the chocolate heart candies um oh From hershey uh, you mean not not hershey no no they put i don't like the stuff that hershey puts in their chocolates um <laughs> you don't want to get me going on that uh also they they started to make most or much of their chocolate in mexico instead of pennsylvania so there's that um what is it no, i was it's, just wondering because it's kind of a coincidence between root valentino and valentine I think it was. I think Rudolph Valentino. And the thing about Rudolph Valentino that I discovered uh, really just a couple of months ago, he he only lived, he died when he was young. Yeah, he he was, um, he died, it says here, in 1926. So he was only 31 when he died. And, And when they had the funeral for him in New York City in Manhattan, there were riots. I mean, it, things just went out of control. And remember, this this was nearly a hundred years ago. It was uh, ninety-seven yeah. years ago, and they didn't have the internet. They didn't have TikTok and TikTok and Twitter, and and there were just big riots. Says he. Well, I was wondering, did, did they ever find out? <laughs> ever find out who the woman was? Who? Uh, I guess every. Uh, uh, every year when he died, she would put something on his grave. You know, there was, I, I don't know if they ever found that woman's name or not. She was always, like, uh, disguised to some degree or with a veil or whatever. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I don't know if they ever found that out. I didn't hear. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Here's what it says. They called her a woman in black who carried a red oh, rose. Go. Yep. And it says over the years... 
She has come to mourn at his crypt, usually on the anniversary of his death. There are several myths that surround the woman, though it seems the first woman in black was actually a publicity stunt cooked up by his press agent back in 1928. And then, yeah, it says a woman named Dietra Flame claimed to be the original woman in black. Several copycats have followed over the years. Although originally a PR stunt, it has become a tradition. The current woman in black is motion picture historian Carrie Bible. The myth of the woman in black is also a source of of inspiration for a song called Long Black Veil. So there's some background according to Wikipedia. So, Jeez, sure I don't know. Story. I'm 86, so I don't know how many years ago I heard that story. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. So I I found out it's like anything else in the world, you know, you find out certain things and it sticks with you. That's why I say Valentine and Valentino. It just seemed like yeah. a kind of a big coincidence there. He was uh I'm looking at some pictures. I mean, he, he was I can see why he was very popular. You know, quite a quite a striking figure. Um and I know in Binghamton here say in the mid-20s and late-20s, a lot of his movies played over on, on Shenango Street. I think over, I think it was the Strand Theater or the Riviera. And so those were some of the most popular movies of the day. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I was born in 36, and uh, one of the things... That always I always remember is going to the YMCA on Saturday mornings and and watching the scary movies. <laughs> Where were you born? At General Hospital? No, I was born at Thirty Seven Charles Street. Really, in the First Ward? Exactly. They're going to exactly. be yeah. They're going to be growing weed there. Thirty Seven Charles Street. That's right. That area. They're going to be growing weed. For well, uh, for the marijuana consumers, so you know, I can remember when Ansco's wasn't there, and then all of a sudden it, they built those big buildings right across the street from us. Well, many many years ago, many years ago. Here's a question. Here's a question for you. So the building at 15 Charles Street, the big brick building, did that used to be the Jarvis Street School? The Jarvis Street School was way in back of the parking lot on Charles Street. The main entrance was on Jarvis Street, so I can't. I don't really know where 15 is, but that's. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's the Charles Street side of what had right. been the Jarvis Street School because uh, I will be doing a story on that. But um, yeah, so my it's sisters went there. <laughs> Really? They're older than four years older than I am, so I I went to Daniel myself. All right. Many years ago, lots of memories. Well, those were the but good old anyway, days. Anyway, have a good day. Thank you, Dick. Better life. We'll talk. Yep. Bye. Thank you. Huh, I like the memories. It's nine fifty-two. This is Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. If you have thoughts, well, by all means, avail yourself of the opportunity to share your thoughts with people in Radio Land on WNBF and WNBF.com.
1955. Bob Joseph Live, WNBF. Coming up next, we'll have news from the news source. If you like news, coming up the news from the news source. And then, of course, two more hours of um, whatever happens. It's the beauty of uh, a live program. I have no script, no teleprompter, no agenda. So who really knows? Heck, we might have some breaking news coming up in a few minutes on this program. That's why I'm going to stay tuned. Here's uh, a very... Sad story. We uh, brought you the report yesterday, just a little less than 24 hours ago, about the uh, ice fishing tournament, the Crappy Derby, on Whitney Point Lake. Tom Decker told us live on the program yesterday that the <sighs> annual well, it's supposed to be, an annual event wouldn't be held this Saturday because the ice was insufficient. They had some ice at Whitney Point Lake, but not enough ice to accommodate thousands of people who would flock to the big event, so it will not happen this year. So they had eight inches of ice. They need a lot more than that if you're going to have thousands of people showing up. So they made the right decision, and now... We um, have the information about three fishermen who died when they fell through ice on Lake Champlain. Lake Champlain. Um, three men fell through the ice and they died. Now the Vermont Fish and Wildlife Department is warning people to stay off the frozen lake due to unsafe conditions. The island's ice fishing derby that had been planned for this past weekend was canceled. The um, organizers said the Grand Isle County Sheriff's Department requested the cancellation because of ice conditions. Uh, two brothers from Vermont, John Flurry, who was 71, and Wayne Flurry, who was 88, fell through the ice in Keeler Bay on Saturday while riding side-by-side -side in a utility terrain vehicle, according to Vermont State Police, and their deaths came just two days after 62-year-old uh, Wayne Alexander of Grand Isle, Vermont, fell through the ice. And he had left home to go ice fishing when he didn't return by evening. A relative went out looking for him and then called the police. So be careful. Be careful if you do go ice fishing. As Tom Decker mentioned when we spoke with him Monday morning, he's been out ice fishing. And if you know what you're doing... If you know where you're fishing and if you know that the ice conditions are sufficient to support you and maybe another person, that, that's one thing. But don't take any chances, especially with the variable weather conditions that we've had over really the last several weeks. And look at today. Today's high is going to be above 50, and tomorrow... 
they say our high could get into the low 60s. So if there's ice around here on some lakes that normally would be attractive for ice fishing, the ice could become unsafe if the temperatures soar during the daytime. So all I can say is be careful. Be very, very careful. I have never been ice fishing. There's one time in Ontario where I did ride in an SUV on a frozen lake, but it was really, really, really cold. It was probably minus 20, minus 25 degrees, and that lake was frozen solid, so I felt safe, but never, ever actually been ice fishing. Maybe next year. This is Bob Joseph, Tuesday morning live, 10 o'clock on WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Tuesday, February 14th. You're listening to WNBF. Two Broome County jail inmates and two other people are accused of being involved in a conspiracy to smuggle fentanyl into the town of Dickinson facility. Authorities on Monday said the suspects face felony charges following an investigation by the sheriff's office. Sheriff Fred Akshar said his agency's investigators were able to stop an effort to smuggle and distribute illegal drugs into the jail. Akshar said they were able to stop the conspiracy in its tracks and prevent nearly 3,650 fatal doses of fentanyl from circulating throughout the correctional facility. The sheriff said an investigator last Wednesday observed a jail visit between an inmate, Marcella McDonald of Queens, and Ethan Papathomopoulos of Endicott. It appeared an exchange of contraband occurred during a handshake. Investigators ultimately discovered McDonald had been in possession of some fentanyl. Ultimately, the inmate's housing unit and cell were checked. A search turned up 131 pills hidden in his cell. Papathomopoulos and 21-year-old Alexis Merrill of the town of Maine were arrested for their alleged involvement in acquiring the fentanyl and delivering it to McDonald. McDonald and another inmate, 21-year-old Justice Marimberga of the town of Maine, also were arrested. All four have been charged with felony counts, including fourth-degree conspiracy. A major southern-tier ice fishing competition won't be held this year because of the warmer-than-usual winter. Organizers of the New York State Crappy Derby on Monday announced the event has been canceled because the ice on Whitney Point Lake is inadequate. Tom Decker of the Whitney Point Sportsman Association told WMBF News there now is only about eight inches of ice on the reservoir. He said that's plenty of ice for individuals who want to do some fishing, but it's not enough for the large crowd that would be attracted by the Crappy Derby. Decker said the weather in recent weeks hasn't been conducive to making good ice. He noted there have been repeated freeze-thaw cycles, along with periods of snow and rain. Officials with the Sportsman Association met with representatives of the Broome County Parks Department Monday morning at the lake, and everyone agreed the ice was not sufficient for the planned event. Crappy Derby was canceled last year at virtually the last minute because the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers planned to close gates at the lake due to rain. That action would have caused the water to rise, pulling ice away from the edges. The last New York State Crappy Derby was held in 2020. Decker said the association members now will look to next year with the hope of being able to once again hold the event that typically draws thousands of people to northern Broome County. Born in Turkey in 1972, Hamdi Ulukaya was born into a dairy farming community before coming to the United States in 1994. Upon moving to the United States, he studied English on Long Island before transferring to the University at Albany, where he took business courses before opening a 
wholesale feta cheese company. In 2005, he purchased a yogurt factory once owned by Kraft Foods. Instead of producing traditional yogurt, he decided to make yogurt the way he grew up with it in Turkey, and so was born the multi-billion dollar Chobani. Forbes magazine estimated that his worth is $2 billion as his company is headquartered in Norwich, while the yogurt plant has two locations, one in South Edmiston and the other in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, he's the owner of the number one selling strain yogurt company in the United States, but he hasn't forgotten his roots. On Monday, February 6th, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit Turkey and parts of Syria, killing thousands of people and toppling buildings. As of February 11th, there were more than 25,000 confirmed deaths, and the numbers continue to climb. He earmarked $2 million for Turkey's earthquake relief efforts through an organization called Turkish Philanthropy Funds. Turkish Philanthropy Funds has a goal to raise $10 million to aid in a variety of areas, including search and rescue efforts, distribution of hygiene kits, emergency supplies, generators, and more. New York State Governor Kathy Hochul is taking aim at the tobacco industry, seeking to ban menthol cigarettes and significantly raise cigarette taxes per pack. Governor Hochul's proposal would ban the sale of menthol cigarettes, considered one of the most popular cigarette products, and raise the per-pack tax on cigarettes from $1 to $5.35. For regular smokers, that's a great deal more of their money going to cigarettes. For reference, someone who smokes one pack a day right now pays $7 in taxes per week, but with the raise in the tax on cigarette products, he or she would pay $37.45 in taxes alone for a week of smoking. Expectedly, Governor Hochul's proposal is facing intense scrutiny. Even members of the clergy in Buffalo, Albany, and Harlem signed on to a letter to Governor Hochul stating it is unjust to expect communities of color to choose between greater public health protections and basic civil rights. We do not accept the premise that we must choose between the two, that these interests are mutually exclusive, or that this debate is zero-sum. A working group of consisting of social justice advocates and law enforcement leaders, along with other organizations, is the best solution available to bridge the current divide. A man driving a U-Haul truck swerved onto sidewalks and plowed into cyclists and scooter riders in New York City on Monday, killing one person and injuring eight others before police were able to pin the careening vehicle against a building following a miles-long pursuit through Brooklyn. Police Commissioner Keyshant Sewell described the driver's actions Monday as a violent rampage through Brooklyn. The truck sped through the Bay Ridge neighborhood before police stopped it more than three miles away near the entrance to a tunnel leading from Brooklyn to Manhattan. The driver was arrested. He was identified by his son as Wang Soar, who was living in Las Vegas before appearing recently in New York. President Joe Biden has fired the embattled architect of the Capitol, the official who oversees the Capitol complex. The White House said Monday that Brett Blanton's appointment was terminated. It comes as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said he'd lost confidence in Blanton's ability to do the job. An Inspector General report released last year found administrative, ethical, and policy violations by Blanton, including that he abused his government vehicle and misrepresented himself as a law enforcement official. At a House hearing last week, Blanton also faced fierce questions about capital tours he allowed and sometimes conducted despite pandemic restrictions. Customers of wireless provider T-Mobile USA Incorporated reported widespread service outages in the U.S. late Monday. Posts on downdetector.com and productreviews.net indicated T-Mobile service outages in multiple areas of the country. Many Twitter users have also reported T-Mobile mobile outages. Numerous posts by users said their service has been changed to SOS mode, meaning they were not directly connected to a network but could still make emergency calls. Many posts reported service eventually was restored. T-Mobile President of Technology Neville Ray issued a statement early Tuesday saying services returned to near-normal levels. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today mostly sunny with a high near 47. Tonight increasing clouds with a low near 36. Tomorrow mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 60, wind gusts as high as 29 miles per hour. Tomorrow night partly cloudy, a low near 44. 
And Thursday, showers likely, mainly before 2 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 59 degrees, a 70% chance of rain. Thursday night, showers, a low near 38 degrees, 90% chance of rain. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Bob Joseph live Tuesday morning. This is News Radio WNBF. Joseph Live, WNBF. Tuesday morning, and we'll have a lot to talk about today. We'll be taking phone calls later this hour, so if you have thoughts you'd like to share, we certainly will encourage you to do that right here on News Radio. WNBF 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. Coming up next, live, Mark Yanati will join us in the studio. We have a few things to talk about, always. A few questions, find out what's going on in downtown Binghamton, right here on WNBF. If you- WNBF Live at 1016. This is Bob Joseph. Mark Yanati is in the studio. Have you seen any good signs lately? <laughs> the pot stir, Bob. Good morning, Bob. I see a, I, yes, matter of fact, I saw one this morning on, uh, on the corner of uh, Lewis and Shenango, Station 45. I think it's a fantastic sign. A lovely sign. Beautiful. Highly acclaimed. I think so. I agree. Uh, City Commission has been unanimous in saying it's a wonderful sign. That is correct. We're just uh, patiently waiting for the proper language to be implemented into the to make it uh, a correct sign. Yes, we want. It's important whether it's signage or anything else that all the I's get dotted and the T's get crossed. I understand that now. <laughs> you do. So we do have a lot to talk about today. Well, yeah, since we started with the sign, first of all. 
uh, for people who haven't been following along, and we've been following your development of the uh, western portion of the historic Lackawanna train station, it seems for the last couple of years, a lot has happened over the past two years to turn that part of the train station on Lewis Street into a restaurant. Tell us about what's happened. Give us a, sort of a, a, a timeline how the, the project started for you and, and your partners. Um, I mean, it, it, the vision started certainly uh, uh, years ago. Um, I would even say maybe even a decade at one point, but it was kind of the last of the um, of the projects to make that development project complete. Um, meaning the tail end of it, because even though I wanted to see a restaurant or an eatery there, it didn't make sense to open that and then start doing a lot of renovations. The canopy, you know, the canopy uh, of the building was in uh, complete disrepair and um, decayed over many, many years. The, it needed a new roof, uh, exterior painting, a lot of concrete and parking lot war, work and retaining walls. So it didn't make sense to open up a facility and then right out right out of the gate disrupt the business by doing major uh, construction so we're at the tail end and we finally got started uh, with this construction of the restaurant in uh, sometime in late 21 um, summer of 21 late August we started with the outdoor seating area hoping that uh, we'd finish that up by uh, prior to winter which we were successful and then turn right into interior or construction uh, on the inside of the facility to uh, to build the restaurant in which we got a little bit of a late start but we've progressed and we're kind of to the you know final stages of the uh, construction inside and we're optimistic about uh, we'll call it a late spring opening and I am looking I think the first story I did about the the restaurant vision turns out it was august of 2020 so it was almost three years ago that we did the first story and there were some pictures of of what the conditions were like and that helps to sort of demonstrate how far things have have come since we did that initial story about your your hope to open up this restaurant on lewis street yeah look working with in historical buildings first of all i can say factually that they don't construct buildings like that any longer it's really uh truly amazing but in the same breath it makes it very very challenging um to work on them because historically they just don't use the same applications that they do today um so there's a little bit more of a challenge uh i have a passion about rehabilitating historical buildings i have an appreciation for the architecture and i think it's uh important that we try to be consistent with that and not ever do anything that maybe ruins the historical integrity of the building. So pulling them apart, you're pulling them apart a little bit more carefully because you're hopefully going to repurpose and reuse the same um, whatever you can salvage, I should say, which we've done. So it's taken a little bit longer, and um, we're, we're, uh, we're very happy with the way things are coming out. And as we've documented along the way i'm looking at a, a story from let's see it was may of last year showing the restored ceiling um a lot of work went into um, restoring the ceiling inside the the train station also a tremendous amount of work was done 
to um, uh, pay close attention to the wood that was inside the building. It was not just something, yeah, let's rip out what was there and then slap up some other stuff that, that looks like it might fit. Um, a lot of work. You, you retained uh, uh, people who knew what they were doing to, to basically restore the woodwork. Yes, I'm comfortable in saying that we probably repurposed, reused uh, 90% of what we pulled apart in some capacity or another. It may not be the original purpose of it, but we tied it into something, whether it be the new hostess stand or the coffee bar or converting a base cabinet into a wall cabinet and taking other pieces of, pieces of uh, trim or woodwork and, uh, and, and accessorizing something with it. But it, it's really... Most of what we've taken apart has remained uh, in some capacity uh, in the new restaurant. It's a good feeling. So a lot of the restoration work took um, extra money, extra time. Then another aspect of getting a restaurant up and and running is equipment, kitchen equipment, um, tables, and, and all sorts of things. And I know from speaking with you on many occasions, there have been challenges, supply chain challenges, because some of the things that you really needed were not instantly available. I think that's a, an ongoing problem, just not for me, but anybody who's trying to build a business or build a building or build a house, anything. The availability is very, very limited, and there's certainly lead times on it. Um, I think we're in pretty good shape, although we there are some pieces that we'll hopefully finalize by the end of the week, which uh, I still understand are four to six weeks out, which could mean two weeks or could mean 24 weeks so i guess we'll find out once we once we get there but nothing in our control and hopefully uh it'll be on the earlier than latter side so physically getting the place ready for occupancy and and turning it into uh an eatery that people can look forward to that's one thing but then another complicated aspect of this is hiring the right people um and all types of, of people that are necessary to make a, a restaurant work and also uh, hopefully provide a good first impression because restaurant business, as you well know, is very, very competitive. If you don't make a good first impression when people visit, that, that could be um, could be fatal. I would agree with you, and I would tell you that it's probably our number one stress is putting together – um, really a, a good, strong, quality uh, team. Um, unfortunately, there's slim pickings out there right now. Um, I think our biggest concern is putting together a staff. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm hopeful and optimistic that once we really start open up opportunity and you know for employment, that people will will will, will come to us and um, there'll be at least some selection. You have to, you know, uh, pick and choose the best in the industry. Hopefully we're fortunate there. But at this point, one step at a time. And um, I think in the next couple of weeks, we'll probably start setting up tables and, and, and setting the facility up and moving restaurant equipment in. And then we'll start intensely with hiring um, and training, uh, staffing, uh, um, and doing what we need to do to hopefully have a successful opening uh, in the early to late spring. 
It'll be called Station 45 American Chop House. Have you come up with a tentative menu? Yeah, there is a tentative menu floating out there. I can't say that I've seen it, um, but uh, chefs are a unique breed. Um, we have, I think, the best in the area, and uh, he, I know he's put a lot of thought into it, and I think that uh, probably in the next week or so we'll sit down and kind of have a discussion on it and figure out what's going to stay and what will be offered at specials because everything he does is fantastic. It's always great, but I don't know if there's uh, enough room on the menu for everything. So, um, but yes, it'll be, you know, on the lines of a chop house, steakhouse. So, but there'll be something for everybody. And who's the person in charge? Uh, Chef Jay Pasquale. And tell us a bit about his background, his experience. Jay is self-taught. He's uh, really an amazing chef, local. Uh, well, I'm sorry. Self-taught, remained local after college. He's from Long Island, attended Binghamton University, and stayed in the area. He's worked at many restaurants and became the head chef at uh, Social on State. He's really uh, he's really his own brand. He's really exceptional, and uh, we're lucky to have him, and we're excited, and I think uh, the whole community is excited about this next venture for all of us. Speaking with Mark Yanati on WNBF, it's 1027 on a Tuesday morning. So if things go, according to the way things are shaping up at this point, is it feasible to have this place running in time for uh, Binghamton University graduation in mid-May? So it's funny that you say that. That's kind of been our, uh, our that's where we've moved our goalpost to. Um, do I think it's, I think it's achievable, uh, but we're also not going to risk if we're not ready for it and it takes an extra week or two weeks or even month, um, we're not gonna, we're not willing to compromise what we feel people or the customers deserve. And if we have to postpone it a little bit, then we will. And if there's the ability to open up a couple weeks prior to that, we'll do that as well. So it's kind of up in the air, but we've you've been using that as a that's where we put the goalpost around uh, you know a little bit before BU graduation. So that's a target for now. It is. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see how that goes. Again, so many things beyond your control. You can do. You and your people can do a lot, but if certain aspects are whether it's equipment or hiring enough people to as they say, have an appropriate experience. Well, we know we'll have tables and chairs, and the air conditioning will be on. So worst-case scenario, maybe we just serve hot dogs and hamburgers off a grill and let people go inside instead. Or And ice cream cones. And ice cream cones. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. Let's talk just briefly. We won't dwell a lot on the sign, but let's... Let's go over this because it's a historic building. The Commission on Architecture and Urban Design does have uh, a review process when when signage is considered on on a building such as this. And and so last fall you went through the the initial process of presenting your proposed sign to COD, the Commission, and ultimately. You you did put the sign up before the commission gave its final approval, but as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it seemed every member of the Commission on Architecture and Urban Design said they really loved the sign. 
Yeah, that was an you know interesting experience. Um, look, I'm a pretty passionate guy about what I do, and sometimes I probably get a couple steps of ahead of myself. But the reality is, is I submitted an application for the sign in July of 2022. Um, and prior to that, a lot of thought went into to this sign design. Uh, it just wasn't a matter of us picking up a catalog and saying, you know, we'll take, you know, letter C in this size and in this color and send it to us. Um, a lot of a lot of thought, a lot of vision, um, a lot of engineering went into it. Um, there was a lot of detailed. Uh, you know, there were several different versions until we felt that we had a perfected product. And we submitted the application with with the payment back in July. And uh, we didn't hear anything until October when I was going to be out of town. And they allowed me to participate um, via Zoom. I was a little bit taken back that it, it wasn't really embraced as a, as a really tasteful sign, especially seeing some of the things that I've seen around downtown Binghamton or in the historical district. Um but we were patient, and at one point, I don't think they had a quorum to vote on it, so they put it off for a week, and then the following week didn't have a quorum, and then I think the third week they weren't going to have a quorum, so they ended up putting it on November's um, agenda, in which we attended in person. And uh, they all agreed, I think you were there, that they liked the sign, that thought it was tasteful, but based on some of the language and the guidelines for SHPO or COD. It didn't really allow for backlit signs. So there was some discussion there. And they were going to revisit the language and I think speak to Corporation Council. Um, in the midst of this, uh, one of the contractors working at our, uh, on, on the train station had a crane that they were going to be using and there was a four hour minimum. Um, and he only needed it for 45 minutes and, uh, we decided that it was a good time to, to, to install the sign. We felt very comfortable based on the feedback from the city. It was just really a matter of working out some technical language. So I advised the city that I was going to most likely put this sign up uh, on a certain day, and which we did. And uh got us in the doghouse, Bob. Um, I thought you, was, you received a citation. I did receive a citation. Um, in any event, uh, it, it really kind of created a lot of controversy in our area. Um, this guy, uh, Bob Joseph, put up a, a story or two, and it uh, ended up on Facebook, and it ended up being shared, and uh, a lot of people commented, and it really showed um, in people's opinion that the city was being maybe – um, a, a little bit difficult, not knowing everything, and and it it, it uh, stirred up a lot of controversy and chatter on social media and other areas. But um, they've been uh, they've been pretty open minded. I have some correspondence with the planning department um, in COD, and the mayor reached out to me as well, and they're trying to correct everything and, and maybe change some of the guidelines in the language um, so it's a little bit me a little bit more friendly not just for me but for other people looking to do something in the business district are you going to wind up having to pay a fine I don't believe so I think they kind of tabled that for now I think it's just protocol that they follow um, 
should be pointed out the members of cod as far as i know they're they're volunteer members of the commission it's not like they're uh serving on that city commission for the money or the fame i don't know enough about it or i mean i i don't think they're getting paid maybe they get paid some kind of stipend but but i mean the, the mission of cod is to try i believe to continue maintain the integrity of historic buildings in downtown binghamton so just so people understand what the commission's basic mission is even if in this particular case it it felt weird to hear the members individually and collectively basically sing the praises of the sign but they express concern about setting a precedent for say some future project down the road and i appreciate that believe me i appreciate having a little bit of structure in areas and not letting you know people run like cowboys um what i will say the city's got much bigger problems than station 45's sign and basically outskirts of a historical district my neighbors are basically a viaduct a parking lot across the street and the ballpark um, as I said earlier, I think the sign was very tastefully done. I'm extremely proud of it. I'm proud of um, everyone who's from the fabricator to the designer to all of our collective visions. It's really a sign uh, to be proud of. But I also can appreciate the city wanting to keep some consistency but i think that's maybe their biggest issues is sometimes their biggest consistency is their inconsistency in downtown um and i'd love to participate and be a resolution to the problem not just complain um so i'm hoping to work with them in the near future and and hopefully create uh, you know a friendlier environment where it's more welcoming uh, look, I'll continue to say it. We live in a gem of an area. We could have a gem of a downtown district. But, it, you know, as of now, I look at it as kind of wasted talent. And I think you need to put together a strong team of, of you know, whether it's government and business owners and visionaries and work collectively to make this happen. We'll have more with Mark Yanati in just a moment. This is WNBF and WNBF.com. I always ten thirty nine. Bob Joseph live on WNBF in the studio is Binghamton developer and businessman Mark Yanati. So long running projects, proposed project here in downtown Binghamton. 70, 72 Court Streets, the uh, vacant parcel uh, just across the street from the fabulous WNBF building. So what's happening now? This is, we've covered this for, seems seems like a decade. It feels like a decade. It, it has. So what what's the story? So unfortunately, we have uh, decided to not move forward with that project, which is, uh, um, I don't even want to say bittersweet. It's a bit of a heartbreaker for me, um, especially because I operated a business across the street from there from 1999 until 2006 or seven. Coffee Talk. Um, and when that building was for sale, I had, I had looked at it and actually partnered with some gentlemen out of New York, which that deal didn't go well. And then unfortunately, obviously, the uh, 
the damage, the, the collapse of the building to it uh, eventually being completely torn down on what I consider the best and busiest intersection in downtown Binghamton. So I immediately, you know, tried to, um, I had a vision for that corner uh, and I went through an RFP process and there were some grant applications involved and uh, we had a couple different um, renderings of what we wanted to put there and eventually we secured a uh, an anchor tenant which would have been Visions Federal Credit Union who was pretty committed to our to our area. Um, fast forward, uh, things changed. Um, certainly, the pandemic changed. Um, the, the scarcity of material, uh, now the interest rates, the way people do business. Uh, but we were still committed to the project. We reduced the size of it from a five-story to a two-story. Um, and Visions was still, you know, on board with us. But I think after the pandemic, they reevaluated um, how they do banking, what's needed for banking, and they um, they decided it wasn't in their best interest. And uh, I think they have to present it to. Uh, to a board or to committee, and it wasn't favorable. And they were really the strength of that project. Um, and to, to really, and I was on a limited time also with the city because my contract called for it to be um, almost done or close to being done by December of 23. So by the time we... Um, Learn this to, to find another anchor tenant that's an actual real bankable tenant where you can go to a bank and, and they put some value on it. Um, and our concern with construction, um, it just didn't seem like it was going to be possible to, to make this happen. Um, so we ended up, I uh, had to go back in front of city council. Um, which it did a couple weeks ago, and uh, it, right now we feel it's in our ben- best interest to not um, move forward with that project. Did you ever have any preliminary discussions with other prospective tenants after Visions made clear that it didn't want to go forward with that project? We did, but again, the timing was limited as far as getting back in and doing a design or more renderings, which you know additionally cost money and uh, I had a significant amount of money invested into this project until current day and I wasn't comfortable risking more money um, and doing additional renderings and even spending money um, legally with uh, uh, potential lease opportunities so we felt it was in our best interest but we did reach out to a couple people I, but I, I think a lot of organizations have the si- the same um, you know the same uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, concerns with building new or uh, the world's a different place after um, the pandemic unfortunately was there's a lot of a lot of available office space here in Broome County and across the country but, and and while things may bounce, still bounce back a bit more than they have so far most real estate experts say it's never it's never going going to be the way it was before covid correct and depending where you stand i, I me personally i feel that you have to um, 
get the world back to normalcy. And I, I feel people should go outside of their home and into an office environment. That's how commerce works. You go out, you stop at the local coffee shop, or you, you know, you go across the street to buy a shirt at Ron Saul's, or you stop by Strange Brew and grab a coffee, or you go to Boscov's or M&D or Nuts. That's, you can't do that when you're sitting at home. Um, but I also understand, um, people, you know, the, the desire to feel safe and comfortable. But in any event, um, it was a really, really hard decision. I would tell you it was probably extremely saddened on my part because I've had a, a, a vision for that location um, for probably 15-plus years, and I feel like I was so close to making it be, you know, become a reality. But I also feel that there's a lot of um, uh, smart and talented guys in this business even you know even locally um somebody will do something with that building that's willing to take the risk that can maybe afford to take the risk um i told the city um or my attorney told the city that i'm willing to share whatever drawings i have or any type of feasibility studies because the ultimate goal for me is to see that corner become a success for somebody because I think everybody collectively benefits from it. It, 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 it uh, puts something back on the tax roll and it dresses up the corner than, a, than just a vacant lot. So you officially acquired the property for $75,000 about 14 months ago. So is the property going to revert back to city ownership? Is it, that what... It does. I do not have a right to sell it. The city's been considerate uh, with respect to re- basically buying the building, uh, buying the property back from me. So that's the direction it'll go. I'm not sure what the city's intention is uh, once they have possession of it, whether it's to put it out for an RFP, uh, keep it vacant land, whatever it is. But um, personally, I'd like to see that that lot developed. I think there's a, a certainly still a, a really good opportunity there for somebody. Although one of the challenges is that it's not a really big lot. I mean, you're not not talking about a, a lot of usable space. Your original plan, I believe, was a five-story mixed-use building with uh, apartments that would have been on floors two through five and then uh, commercial or retail on the first floor. So, Bob, everything about that location, outside of being the best location... It's a really challenging, really challenging location to to work on. You can barely you can barely do a full circle on a bicycle, literally uh, on that on that location. So when you start putting a big piece of machinery there, or an excavator, or a crane, um, there's it's just really really tough. Usually on sites you can move dirt from one area and put it in a pile. There's you there's no areas to dig that area out. You have to truck it away and truck it back in and um certainly without question close part or part of State Street down and maybe part of Court Street down. But if you look at the prize at the end, you know, you have to go through a little bit of pain. You end up with a beautiful developed site. Do you think ultimately given the dimensions of that property at 7072 court that the best long-term hope for developing that spot the heart of downtown is going to be to uh, somehow make use of adjacent properties either the property to the 
uh, south on State Street or potentially the the property that's to the east on Court Street that, that would perhaps allow more flexibility and more creativity with a, a redevelopment project of some type? Again, um, I happen to own the property uh, east of it. Um, oh, I didn't realize. In the big scale of things where SEFQ is, well, you know, you would look at maybe uh, as a major project tearing all that down and expanding the footprint. But I'll also tell you is that I'm not so sure the market's here yet. Um, I constantly have to ask myself, where are the jobs? Where are the people? There's no sense in building um, or even competing with uh, uh, you know, you have the, the gentleman in Johnson City who just did did the uh, the EJ billing, phenomenal job. Um, there's volume of housing there available now. Uh, there's other housing projects going on. Um, I know that at one point there was some discussion where the Boscov's ramp is, and that's great. I love to see development. I think it's all positive. But I want to know where the people are coming from and where are the jobs because. You know, in my small business, it's been very challenging to find people to come out and work. Um, and uh, let alone some of these places warrant $2,000, $2,500 a month rent. So there's just not a lot of people that I come across that are in a position to afford uh, two to $3,000 monthly for rent. A lot of the calls I get are still people are still looking for. Seven hundred and fifty to eight hundred dollar apartments. So, and, and on top of that, there's also other projects that are teed up with other developers, which I wish them the best of luck. I think it's great for our area, but where are the jobs? How are people going to afford these things? So, if we were a more vibrant city or area, county, whatever you want to call it, um, sure, that would be a great project because I'll never stop believing the potential here. It's whether it's what you do with it. If if, if you get people on the right on the on the same page, forging ahead with the same vision and the same ideas, then it can be great. More with Mark Yanati in just a moment. I'm Bob Joseph. Tuesday morning on WNBF. First. Ten fifty four. Bob Joseph live on WNBF on a Tuesday morning. We're speaking with Mark Yanati. Well, clearly, as you've discussed this morning with these two uh, projects, uh, restaurant going forward on Lewis Street. Unfortunately, the Court Street project not going forward. You really care a lot about the city of Binghamton, downtown and beyond. So the question is, long term, do you have any other plans besides? projects and development to, to possibly uh, um, focus on on the city that you love so much well for starters you know it's really focusing what's on my plate right now and trying to perfect um, the product and maintain what I have um, you know looking forward not much of a of a, a political guy but I can't tell you I'd be lying if I told you I haven't thought about throwing my hat in the uh, you know the political arena not because I like politics probably because of the absolute opposite um, I love our area I've been born and raised here my entire life I stayed here through um, schooling uh, and I've never left and at this point at age 52 it's somewhat challenging to just pick up and leave 
And I'll continue to say that I, I still think there's so much untapped um, opportunity here. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I think everyone has their own style of, you know, being a, a mayor or a senator or a Broome County executive. Um, it, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just maybe different than what I would do. And um, when that time comes, if I'm up for the challenge, I may explore opportunities. I'm not saying anyone's doing anything wrong. It's just different than me. I, I feel that we need to get back to the very basics in our area and, uh, you know, inject some discipline actions into people, property owners, business owners, um, and force them to maintain clean uh, a clean city, clean storefronts, clean houses, clean windows. Uh, just go back to the very basics. I think that that way is, is a start. But we'll see, and I'm sure you'll uh, – I'll tell you what. You will be one of the first to know um, if I decide to go down that road. All right. Stay tuned. Mark Yanati, thanks for talking about uh, a variety of topics today. Hope you have a great day. Thanks so much, Bob. It's 1056. We're live and local on a Tuesday. Coming up. Your phone calls and your thoughts on WNBF and WNBF.com. Talk every weekday morning from 9 to noon. I'm Bob Joseph. This is News Radio WNBF Binghamton. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Good morning on this Tuesday, February 14th. You're listening to WNBF. Two Broome County jail inmates and two other people are accused of being involved in a conspiracy to smuggle fentanyl into the town of Dickinson facility. Authorities on Monday said the suspects faced felony charges following an investigation by the sheriff's office. Sheriff Fred Akshar said his agency's investigators were able to stop an effort to smuggle and distribute illegal drugs into the jail. Akshar said they were able to stop the conspiracy in its tracks and prevent nearly 3,650 fatal doses of fentanyl from circulating throughout the correctional facility. The sheriff said an investigator last Wednesday observed a jail visit between an inmate, Marcella McDonald of Queens, and Ethan Papathomopoulos of Endicott. It appeared an exchange of contraband occurred during a handshake. Investigators ultimately discovered McDonald had been in possession of some fentanyl. Ultimately, the inmate's housing unit and cell were checked. A search turned up 131 pills hidden in his cell. Papa Thamopoulos and 21-year-old Alexis Merrill of the town of Maine were arrested for their alleged involvement in acquiring the fentanyl and delivering it to McDonald. McDonald and another inmate, 21-year-old Justice Marimberga of the town of Maine, also were arrested. All four have been charged with felony counts, including fourth-degree conspiracy. A major southern-tier ice fishing competition won't be held this year because of the warmer-than-usual winter. Organizers of the New York State Crappy Derby on Monday announced the event has been canceled because the ice on Whitney Point Lake is inadequate. Tom Decker of the Whitney Point Sportsman Association told WMBF News there now is only about eight inches of ice on the reservoir. He said that's plenty of ice for individuals who want to do some fishing, but it's not enough for the large crowd that would be attracted by the Crappy Derby. Decker said the weather in recent weeks hasn't been conducive to making good ice. He noted there have been repeated freeze-thaw cycles, along with periods of snow and rain. Officials with the Sportsman Association met with representatives of the Broome County Parks Department Monday morning at the lake, and everyone agreed the ice was not sufficient for the planned event. Crappy Derby was canceled last year at virtually the last minute because the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers planned to close gates at the lake due to rain. 
That action would have caused the water to rise, pulling ice away from the edges. The last New York State Crappy Derby was held in 2020. Decker said the association members now will look to next year with the hope of being able to once again hold the event that typically draws thousands of people to northern Broome County. Born in Turkey in 1972, Hamdi Ulukaya was born into a dairy farming community before coming to the United States in 1994. Upon moving to the United States, he studied English on Long Island before transferring to the university at Albany, where he took business courses before opening a wholesale feta cheese company. In 2005, he purchased a yogurt factory once owned by Kraft Foods Instead of producing traditional yogurt, he decided to make yogurt the way he grew up with it in Turkey, and so was born the multi-billion dollar Chobani. Forbes magazine estimated that his worth is $2 billion as his company is headquartered in Norwich, while the yogurt plant has two locations, one in South Edmiston and the other in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, he's the owner of the number one selling strain yogurt company in the United States, but he hasn't forgotten his roots. On Monday, February 6th, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit Turkey and parts of Syria, killing thousands of people and toppling buildings. As of February 11th, there were more than 25,000 confirmed deaths, and the numbers continue to climb. The earmarked $2 million for Turkey's earthquake relief efforts through an organization called Turkish Philanthropy Funds. Turkish Philanthropy Funds has a goal to raise $10 million to aid in a variety of areas, including search and rescue efforts, distribution of hygiene kits, emergency supplies, generators, and more. New York State Governor Kathy Hochul is taking aim at the tobacco industry, seeking to ban menthol cigarettes and significantly raise cigarette taxes per pack. Governor Hochul's proposal would ban the sale of menthol cigarettes, considered one of the most popular cigarette products, and raise the per pack tax on cigarettes from $1 to $5.35. For regular smokers, that's a great deal more of their money going to cigarettes. For reference, someone who smokes one pack a day right now pays $7 in taxes per week, but with the raise in the tax on cigarette products, he or she would pay $37.45 in taxes alone for a week of smoking. Expectedly, Governor Hochul's proposal is facing intense scrutiny. Even members of the clergy in Buffalo, Albany, and Harlem signed on to a letter to Governor Hochul stating it is unjust to expect communities of color to choose between greater public health protections and basic civil rights. We do not accept the premise that we must choose between the two, that these interests are mutually exclusive, or that this debate is zero-sum. A working group of consisting of social justice advocates and law enforcement leaders, along with other organizations, is the best solution available to bridge the current divide. A man driving a U-Haul truck swerved onto sidewalks and plowed into cyclists and scooter riders in New York City on Monday, killing one person and injuring eight others before police were able to pin the careening vehicle against a building following a miles-long pursuit through Brooklyn. Police Commissioner Keyshant Sewell described the driver's actions Monday as a violent rampage through Brooklyn. The truck sped through the Bay Ridge neighborhood before police stopped it more than three miles away near the entrance to a tunnel leading from Brooklyn to Manhattan. The driver was arrested. He was identified by his son as Wang Soar, who was living in Las Vegas before appearing recently in New York. President Joe Biden has fired the embattled architect of the Capitol, the official who oversees the Capitol complex. The White House said Monday that Brett Blanton's appointment was terminated. It comes as House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said he'd lost confidence in Blanton's ability to do the job. An Inspector General report released last year found administrative, ethical, and policy violations by Blanton, including that he abused his government vehicle and misrepresented himself as a law enforcement official. At a House hearing last week, Blanton also faced fierce questions about capital tours he allowed and sometimes conducted despite pandemic restrictions. Customers of wireless provider T-Mobile USA Incorporated reported widespread service outages in the U.S. late Monday. Posts on downdetector.com and productreviews.net indicated T-Mobile service outages in multiple areas of the country. Many Twitter users have also reported 
T-Mobile outages. Numerous posts by users said their service has been changed to SOS mode, meaning they were not directly connected to a network but could still make emergency calls. Many posts reported service eventually was restored. T-Mobile President of Technology Neville Ray issued a statement early Tuesday saying services returned to near-normal levels. National Weather Service forecast for downtown Binghamton. Today, mostly sunny with a high near 47. Tonight, increasing clouds with a low near 36. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, then gradually becoming sunny with a high near 60. Wind gusts as high as 29 miles per hour. Tomorrow night, partly cloudy, a low near 44. And Thursday, showers likely, mainly before 2 p.m. Cloudy with a high near 59 degrees, a 70% chance of rain. Thursday night, showers, a low near 38 degrees, 90% chance of rain. You're listening to WMBF, where news breaks first, News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. Good morning. This is Bob Joseph, live on News Radio. Give me a call. What's on your mind? Talk about it today on WNBF. Back to the phones we go. Vic in Herkimer. Good morning. You're on the air. Hey, good morning, Bob. Uh, I want to let you know, first and foremost, that I listen to your show every day. And over the last two days, you've had some good guests on. And believe it or not, I, I agree with Tarek Abdelazam, and I love his uh, overwatch of how the COVID money is being spent. The COVID relief fund that he's talking about, the millions that came to Broome County. I think he left an important uh, thing out. Uh, in Broome County, we had 623 co- uh, COVID deaths. And as everybody or most people realize, uh, a funeral is expensive. So I think the people that suffered the COVID death and the expense that came with it should get a piece of the pie. Uh, I think that's something Tarek overlooked, and I, I think there should be an application process to get it. And then the guest you had on just a few minutes ago, the last hour, he talked about his love for Binghamton, the city that he grew up in, and, and in fact, for the, I believe he meant for the whole Broome County area. Um, uh, he's absolutely right about not being able to find people to do the job, yet we have a huge bank of people who are collecting benefits and who are not looking for work. So I think. It might be a good idea if our legislators, you know, would would move the a piece, of, not the whole unemployment office, but just put an office in the benefit sector area of every welfare office. So when the people are interviewed, have you looked for a job this week? They said, yeah, but I can't find one. Okay, go over there and, you know, talk to our employment counselor and then come back and see me. I, I think that would be something we should work on because uh, – I believe there's a lot of jobs in Broome County. Not everybody likes to work for minimum wage, but at least it'll help with their benefits. It'll show that they care about self-pride and things like that. And we lose that in Broome County. And uh, the other thing I want to talk about, Bob, is our government, our politicians in this area, are only here during election cycles. 
you, we don't hear from them. They don't want to be interviewed on your show. Uh, they don't do anything. And if you remember, when I was running, you asked me a question in the studio. What I would do different. And I said transparency. I would be here all the time to tell you what's going on in Albany and what people are doing uh, and what bills are coming to the floor that would affect our area. We're not seeing that. We're not seeing that with this all-electric New York grid. Um, our, our legislator, whether they're in the majority or the minority, should be getting on the TV and telling people about these bills and how it's going to affect their businesses, their way of life, and inflation. Because, as I said, you know, uh, on natural gas, is, uh, I believe it's uh, $9 for um, uh, CMM, which, um, which is 1,000 cubic meters, and um, electric is $39 for the same. So that's going to burden a lot of New Yorkers who own restaurants and businesses um, that go all electric and drive the price of everything up, just like our economy prices are going up. Uh, what, what was it, 1% today, they said? But um, uh, we, can't, we can't sustain a free America without getting control of our government. They're supposed to work for us, with us, not against us. And for them to sit in Albany and say, hey, you have to go all electric, and if you want, you can sue the gas and oil companies because the gas and oil companies have, uh, uh, and this is false, created global warming. I, I believe it's false. Uh, you know, they didn't create it. But um, they're, put, they're putting the laws like that on the books. and. Let's not forget that the oil and gas companies for 150-plus more years have been the backbone of this nation industrial-wise, uh, transportation-wise, medical-wise, uh, uh, fertilizer, so that makes food-wise. They built this country just as much as anybody else did. And for our legislators in Albany, who many of them supported gas and oil just a few years ago, now I want to come out and pass laws saying, well, uh, uh, this has to do with the all-electric grid, by the way. You can sue them. That's just nuts. It's nuts. How are you going to prove that they hurt you? How? They did well, nothing we but never know. They might be able to. No, Bob, they did nothing but expand our life expectancy. Uh, you know, 100 year, 150 years ago, 39 was an old man. Uh, so they, they expanded our life expectancy through, through gas and oil-provided medical, medical technology. And, Bob, I, I know I didn't do well in the last election, but I'm looking at running again. And uh, I'm not sure for what position yet. But I'm sure when you decide, I'm sure you'll let me know. Yeah, I, I'm putting together some things right now, but All right. I, I just hope your listeners understand where I'm coming from. You know, I might not be the best vocal speaker, but I have a great mind when it comes to what's going on in this country. At least I believe I do, and I believe I love my country. I love my town. I want to make changes for the better, make changes that serve everybody, not just the loud minority. And that's commendable. I appreciate your call. Keep me posted, okay? Will do. 1118 WNBF. We need, in my opinion, we need more people to become engaged with government, school districts, what's going on in your neighborhood, 
your town or village or city, your county. We're all busy, and I certainly appreciate that people have so much that they need to try to accomplish every day, and some days it feels that you're never going to get through the day doing everything you wanted to do. And, and so at the end of the day, you might be exhausted and you don't have time to really find out what your government is up to. And now it becomes virtually impossible because who has the time to go to a city council meeting or a village board meeting or a board of education meeting? Most people don't have the time. They might like to know what's going on. They just don't have the time available, even if they're free, they can't afford to spend an hour or two hours and sometimes longer to find out specifically what's going on. And now, with the crisis in journalism in the United States, your ability to find out what is happening is... It's not good. I think you know we've we've talked about it many many times. It's it's not good, and that what that means is government officials and school officials and business people now can always be in the driver's seat and basically do almost anything. Not they can't they won't get away with everything, although they might think they can. But they they do believe, and they will get away with with a lot of things they couldn't have gotten away with five or ten years ago. That's just a fact, and you'll find out about it. Now, I'm not going to name at the moment specific people, but you know the the people the people who should be coming on this program on a regular basis and the people who should be interviewed by the TV stations on a regular basis and the people who should be available for interviews by public radio on a regular basis and even the people who should be available for regular interviews by Press Connects on a regular basis. They don't make themselves available. And there's a reason. 1121, this is Bob Joseph asking a few questions. 607-772-1290, if you'd like to share a few thoughts on this Tuesday morning. This is 92.1 FM, 1290 AM, and WNBF.com. WNBF with Bob Joseph. Back to the phones we go to Port Crane. John, good morning. You're on the air. Yes, good morning. Uh, I uh, About a week ago, Friday, I stopped into the Metro Center in uh, search of uh, Mark 
Molinaro's office, um, which I believe is where Claudia Tenney's office used to be. Uh, on that Friday, I found the office uh, during business hours vacant. Um, I'm curious as to whether anyone knows uh, if uh, Mr. Molinaro has moved any staff into that building. Uh, and secondly, uh, I reached out to Mark Molinaro a couple times via email, and he's put out a oh. Uh, a questionnaire, a simple one-question questionnaire, uh, which was broad and way over the surface. I'm hoping that Mr. Molinaro, um, I'm not going to be too lengthy here, but I, I'm hoping that his office will be staffed if it's not already, and that he takes a, a platform similar to uh, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, uh, who I, uh, I I just fall right in line with uh, Tenney's beliefs, um, and that's about all I, I'm questioning right now is uh, why uh, Mr. Molinaro isn't uh, making himself more available uh, into his uh, in his seat at this at this particular time. All right. Um... I'll look into that. He has been in office for just over a month, so maybe it's going to take a little more time to get things up and running. And one of the things that one of the things that has always sort of surprised me, but I guess it shouldn't be a surprise, is with the transitions when, say, um, a district goes from one representative to another, that apparently they to a large extent, have to start everything from scratch. So, because Richard Hanna had an office at one time, and then, um, oh. Right. Well, you know the, now I'm, I'm forgetting his name, from um, Utica area, uh, who had a, was he served in Congress for one term, and it, it just, I don't know. I guess it has to be that way, but it, and, and probably most of the time, in most districts, it doesn't, make much difference because a, a lot of members of Congress wind up getting elected time and time and time again, so there's that mm. stability. But still, it seems right. to me, you know, when especially when you transition from one Republican representative to another, you know, why couldn't mm. they have just, you know, take it, taken, deleted all the confidential secret stuff from their computers at the end of the one mm. term and let let people bring in new laptops and everything else, but I don't know. It's a it's a complicated process, but I'll see what else I can find out to see when they they have the Binghamton office uh, up and running. Well, yeah, and I I can appreciate that. I'm just real hopeful that uh, uh, Mr. Molinaro is as verbal and uh, forthcoming as Claudia uh, Tenney was when she was in our our district well i hope he's on i hope he's on this station more than she was you know she didn't uh-huh. come on the station that much i mean she did initially she was on quite a bit but then seems like every time i looked up she was on fox but not on this station so it seemed to me mm-hmm. and it's just my impression it seemed to me she was trying to develop a national reputation more than being accessible mm-hmm. to local media but hey you know mm-hmm. that my guess is Mark Molinaro will be on this program more frequently than Claudia Tenney was, but hey, stay tuned. We'll find out.
Well, we certainly hope so. I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your calling in, John, from Port Crane. And I'm sorry I momentarily forgot about the legendary Anthony Brindisi, who did serve in Congress for a time. Represented the uh, 22nd District for uh, a couple years, and then also was in the State Assembly. So, it's interesting looking back on the people who've served in Congress in this part of New York State over the years. It's intriguing. Maybe someday I'll write a book. Keep promising. Bob, you keep saying you're going to write a book. When will it come out? That's a good good point. I guess the bottom line is I better get moving. Hmm. As they say, those books don't just write themselves unless they're a Bill O'Reilly book. 11.29, this is WNBF, 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and you're always connected using the free WNBF app. is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. Calling occupants of interplanetary craft. Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft. out for those UFOs, <laughs> UFOs. It's not aliens, oh no. By the way, if it turned out to be aliens, do you think she would say? Of course not. <laughs> With the military or the FBI tell us, yeah, it's aliens, but don't worry, it's just aliens. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to see here. It's just the aliens. Oh, okay. The aliens. No, there's no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity. No. Would I lie to you? No, George, you wouldn't lie to me. There is no, again, no indication of aliens or extraterrestrial activity with these recent takedowns. So she says. I'll let the intel community and the uh, counterintelligence community figure that out. I haven't ruled out anything uh, at this point. We continue to assess uh, every threat or potential threat unknown that approaches North America uh, with an attempt to identify it. Sure. Sure, they're they're working on it diligently. 
Of course they are. Everything will be fine till 9 o'clock tonight when there's a live address from the Oval by Joe Biden. <laughs> Looking more serious than he's ever looked. My fellow Americans, I've got some interesting news to share with you. You know those unidentified flying objects that we've been reporting over the last few days? Well, here's here's what we know now. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, what are the odds? The way things are going around here so far this year, looking at the first month and a half, what are the odds? I'd say pretty good. But no doubt somebody is wagering on it. What are the odds that it really will turn out to be aliens. Well, I don't know. I I bet $100 that it is. There you go. Of course you did. And the other $100 I'm spending on an eighth of an ounce of whatever that stuff is. By the way, speaking of the uh, the legal weed store... And, of course, because of what we deal with in journalism, I had to go inside to report on the place when they opened. So I was looking at some of the items, and one of the things I noticed, because it's a state-sanctioned store for cannabis, everything has to have a label. So the label, in this case... One particular item that was for sale, uh, 14 grams of something, 22% THC. So all, the only thing they didn't have was the nutrition label, which is probably coming in about three months when they'll have to put nutritional information. Batch number is listed there. Total THC in the package said 3,220 milligrams in the package says it's 22%. Apparently no CBD. It has a date because you want to apparently have fresh cannabis. So as an expiration and use-by date of December 1st, 2023, it also has in bold, cannabis can be addictive. It has the ingredient listing, which is simple in this case. This particular product apparently consists of cannabis flour. The other thing that I was intrigued by, instructions. I didn't know that people who would be buying cannabis here in Binghamton would need instructions on how to use it. But uh, instructions, light, comma, inhale. So apparently, as they say, easy to use. And you should store it in a dry, cool place. So in this particular item, 14 grams, was uh, produced in a place called High Falls, New York. So... If you know me, I'm a label reader. I do that with food, too. I look at 
all the information on the label. Because sometimes you can find something surprising. It's 1139. This is Bob Joseph live on your Tuesday morning. This is WNBF and WNBF.com. Overhead door. WNBF Live at 11.42, taking more calls. Martin in Binghamton, good morning. You're on the air. Yeah, a couple of quick things. Um, looking at the sports page here and seeing the name of uh, Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs won, and there couldn't be a more blatant racist comment. Um, I mean, other team, I mean, the Cleveland Indians ditched their name. and But the really ironic thing is in the back of the end zone, they had emblazoned there for the whole world to see and racism. <laughs> and yet you're raising a, a trophy and kissing it. And, you know, but anyway, it's the name Chiefs. I mean, still, I'm doing the Tomahawks and stuff. And it was what about Owego like, Appalachian, the Indians? Yeah, that's long overdue. Yeah, Owego Free Academy. They. They won't change their name. I thought the state education department said all the school districts have to uh, move on from uh, the Native American names and and logos and imagery. Well, it's just proper. I mean, it's time. I mean, how insulting can it be? I mean, you know, we, we grew up here with the North High Indians, you know, and we just thought it was fine at that time. You know, but that was quite a while ago. I mean, you know, and then uh, a couple quick things. I agree. You know, we should certainly uh, look into um, about Rich David's money and um, taken from the COVID and his cohorts. And oh, with the um, going on here. with what Tarek Abdelazim was talking about with all the ARPA money, the millions of dollars yeah. in ARPA money that came from the federal government to the city of Binghamton? Yes, that's a lot of money. That was a lot of money. And where the heck, you know, and it happened to coincide with his running for office. So, um, you know, we got with the tobacco money, we got, we, we got something to show for it, you know. What did um, we get with the tobacco money? What, uh, what, what do they have to show for that money? Well, we got the ice skating rink, didn't we, up in uh, Room Tech? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I don't skate, but I guess. Yeah. I guess some people do. Wondering how many people in Broome County have uh, skated at the ice center since it opened. Well, I have, and my grandchildren have, and I, you know, I get a fair amount of use. 
I guess, you know, maybe it could have been used for other things, but at least at least there's something that we right. have there right. than going in the pockets of a politician. And then the other thing is about the, the caller at the beginning of the hour talking about um, maybe running for office there <laughs> in, the, in the end there and talking about, I, I think I got a grip on the United States and the politics and then, but denies climate change. I mean, ask, ask the people um, uh, in California, you know about all the fires and everything. And uh, well, what about Arizona? What about Colorado? What about yes, New Mexico? Yes. What about the floods in Florida? Well, what about I the mean, floods in New York? Yes. Exactly Look at all right. the floods that we've been through. We, how many, how many one hundred year, five hundred year, one thousand year floods have we had over the last fifteen years? Yeah, yeah, and you know um, the flood of eleven. You know, there was a house my parents used to own on the corner of Kopex and May there, everything else. And that got so devastated because, and the whole rest of the whole first war got devastated. Why? Because there's Trout Brook Creek running right down through that, through, through the ward and going right down behind uh, May Street and then meandering through the cemetery and then splitting Lydia and Elm Street, which is very flat, and why those homes got filled up? Well, it was because it took them almost two years to get all the sediment out of there. That oh, if you ever drive by the um, over by Charles Street and where Anatech used to be, there's hundreds of yards of sediment built up that was in there. So there was no place for the water to go. But anyway, we're still living with that. But the point is that. You know, if you got think you got your hand on the uh, United States and you're denying climate change, I mean, you're in for a long haul. And also something about COVID tests, want money back from COVID tests, tests that have saved millions of lives. I mean, you know, and I read in the paper there's a, a 44-year-old woman, unfortunately, that just passed away again. So, you know, it's still around. It's still, you know... Um, a viable thing so you know whatever i just wanted to make a few comments all right well i always appreciate your call hope you have a great afternoon yeah you too it's pretty nice out there for february isn't it it's great i'm gonna go out and do some reporting that's how nice it is yeah i feel bad for i mean for all the people that bought plows and everything that thought they might make some extra money and and uh but you know hey we're reaping the rewards here i don't know what what's going on in the universe but there could be something going on yeah I don't know. well especially with all these aliens so we'll see what happens i appreciate your call thank you it's eleven forty-eight. wnbf good morning you're on the air what's your first name where are you calling from there kirkwood hey what's up really you guys are talking about climate change seriously uh, what a waste you know there is no such thing as climate change going on in this world. It's fine. Everything's fine. They're running the way God made it to run. Hello? What makes you say that? I'm a believer. There's a passage in the Old Testament that says something. It says, uh, oh, it says basically that winter and summer. Spring and, spring and fall, and harvest and uh, no, and planting and harvest will continue on and for 
forever. I should have I should have grabbed my Bible hood. Yes. All right, but climate change is a big problem. No, it's not a problem. These things have been going on for thousands of years. Bob. But it's getting worse. I mean, we 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 talk with the with the people up at the National Weather Service, and they basically acknowledge they have no control over it. They say the weather machine. Even the experts believe the weather machine is totally broken. I mean, it is. Well, it's 11.50, WNBF. Good morning, you're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Joan from Bingo. Hey, what's up? Well, what's up is, uh, I guess my train friends tell me that uh, on YouTube you can see six-foot flame shooting out of that axle on that train that derailed out in Ohio. Apparently, when it went by, somebody's, uh, uh, what are the doorbell video camera things actually caught it. Yeah, those are Chinese spy cams. There are millions of those spy cams that China has set up in almost every U.S. neighborhood to spy on us. (laughs) Well, I don't know if somebody's doorbell cam is is exactly in that category. Yeah, but but the Chinese know how to get access to the video. So Uh that's why they don't really need these balloons anymore. They don't care that much about how many balloons we shoot down because they have gone and manufactured about 35 million of these doorbell cameras. And they're in in almost every American neighborhood, especially the upscale neighborhoods. So think about that the next time you buy a Chinese spy cam for your home. Well, yeah, that's that's the case. Uh, I don't know if you were listening to uh, Red Eye guys this morning, but uh, one of the fellows said he had gone out and bought, uh, you know, one of these uh, nice, large, heart-shaped balloons, you know, for his wife for Valentine's Day, and uh, it got shot down. Sorry, I wasn't tuned in. Sadly, I was <laughs> I was dreaming of delightful Swiss chocolate. Uh, well, you know, where are most of those balloons made? Just like everything else in this country. Where is the microphone that I'm speaking into? Where do you think that was made? The computer screen, the uh, uh, display, where was that made? The Dell display. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are three, no, four display screens around me here in the studio then there's also a big tv screen so i can monitor cnn to find out what the truth is all of these screens i'm sure were manufactured by the chinese mm-hmm. so we yeah, well. we rely on the chinese not just for our balloons and our telephones we rely on the chinese for almost all of our key technology Oh, that's true. That's true. Though I did hear that the financial guy saying that uh, about uh, a third less containers are coming out of China these days. Yeah, but still, uh, still, that means that means we'll have to start making some of the, the cheaper stuff. But the good, expensive stuff involving technology, we. Americans will have to uh, buy from the Chinese because we can't afford to make it ourselves. That's, uh, I'm afraid that's the reality of life. I don't like it any more than you, but we can't afford. We can't afford to make our own phones. We can't afford to make our own computers. 
We can't afford to make our own displays. The only thing it seems that America is almost capable of making on its own is toilet paper. But even that sometimes is in short supply. It's 11.53. This is Bob Joseph. Just making some observations on a Tuesday on WNBF. Funny does. WNBF Live with Bob Joseph. Carol from Johnson City is back on the line. Good morning. Yes, good morning. One of my favorite songs. Uh, anyway, uh, I've kind of had it with people and the whole, like, the socially correct stuff about Indians. Whenever I see something that, and I'm still upset about the Cleveland Indians changing their name. I don't even know what they are now. But, uh, you know, wh- what about the poor board of directors? What are they going to do? Are they going to suffer when they have to change their names from chief executive officer, chief financial officer? What the hell does that C stand for? CEO, CFO? It doesn't stand for Kawabunga, that's for sure. No, just uh, they just change it to leader. So oh, instead, of, instead of calling him a chief executive officer, the leader, the company's no, leader, no, no. take me I to your leader. You're just saying silly things right now. I mean, it, it's like insane. It's insane. I, I can't stand it anymore uh, to be social. I'm, I'm just going to hang up. I just had to say that about the uh, board of directors and their, and their titles. So what are you going to do? A chief to me. No, no from now on. It's prestigious. It means you're a fighter, especially when it comes to ending baseball or football team. Uh, I don't even know. What is Whitney Point called? I can't I don't know, but they better not have an Indian name. I, I mean, Native American. It. If they if they, they call themselves first. a Native American name, well, then they're going to be in big trouble. I doubt it. Yeah. The state education department said they're going to be in big trouble. For the capital C. I heard you C. say that earlier. That's, that's true. When did that come out? I don't know. Few weeks ago, but I think they said they're going to be in big, big trouble. Bob Joseph, WNBF.